Today is the last message in our series, Who I Am in Christ. I do hope and pray that God has used this in your life and will continue to use it in your life as we've had the privilege of sharing with you. Through the month of December, we're just going to talk about Christmas and why Christmas. Why do we even bother, as it were? And so uh, prayerfully, that'll be a great time for all of us just to be reminded of what God did and what he has done and why we have all that we have in him. So that being said, here's the last message on who I'm in Christ. I am a disciple maker. By the way, do you know who that applies to? That's very good. Thank you very much. Every one of us. We're all disciple makers. I guess the question would be, what kind of disciple makers are we? No comment? (laughs) There you go. The good guy. That's right. Okay. So here's the thing. A phrase I captured way, way back. Can't remember who it came from. But it's this. And you'll see how it weaves into the message. More is caught than taught. In other words, the life that we live, which illustrates the reality of Christ is what others will be aware of. And yes, do we have the privilege of teaching the Word of God? Yes, we do. And yes, we should. For absolute. But again, more is caught than taught. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, as you take this Word you inspired and speak to our hearts and our lives. And that we leave here different than we came. Because we leave here more and more like you, Lord Christ. So thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in your name, Christ. Holy Spirit, having the freedom to accomplish in each of us all the Father desires. Your kingdom here as it is in heaven, Father, be done in our lives in Jesus' name. Well, the obvious scripture for this is in Matthew 28. I'm going to start in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now remember, this is post-resurrection. So they're still walking through how all this can even be possible. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So how much authority has been given to Jesus? All of it. Ain't nothing missing. It's done. God's will, God's way. All authority has been given to me in heaven, on earth. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, <clears throat> excuse me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Remember I said about disciples? A lot of times, I don't know that we intend to do it. I don't think we do. But we make disciples to us. And that's not what this is about. Go in the name of the Father. Go in the name of the Son. Go in the name of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. The great... Commission, as it were, for the church. 
In fact, this scripture explains why the church exists. Why are we here? Is it just so we can gather on a Sunday morning and have some music and have a message and speak to some folks and go home? That is not what the church is. Is that a part of us being the church? Yes, it is. But that is not the purpose and the intent. The reason why Jesus came and why he gave his life and why he gave the Holy Spirit so that the church could be established. The reason was that others could be made disciples of Christ. Now, when we talk about disciple making, we have to assume, as it were, evangelism. In other words, there has to be a person's coming to know Christ. If you're here today and you've come to know Christ, more than likely, somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody told you about what he did on the cross for you. Somebody told you that he didn't stay on the cross, he didn't stay in the grave, but he was resurrected on the third day, and as a result, he ascended into heaven and gave the Holy Spirit so our life could be full and meaningful and purposeful in carrying out the will and the word of God. So there's evangelism. How do we do that? Well, some of it is just telling somebody about Jesus. It may be one of those brief encounters that you have with someone at a restaurant, at a store, wherever. It could be a longer, longer time of building relationship, of helping someone see Christ in your life daily. It's been my joy to be involved in both of those encounters. Some where I've had the opportunity and the time to build a relationship with a person and seeing them come to know Christ. Others where it was just, it just happens right there. You know, it's a God-ordained moment, uh, a sacred delight, as Max Licato says. And as a result, that person comes to know Christ. And sometimes it's just the social gospel. For example, you heard the announcement about the Christmas tree out front. We still have tags on the tree for families who are needing help for this Christmas. We're not asking you to do anything that God would not want you to do, but as you leave, if God tells you to, get a tag, take it, get it shopped, bring it back, and we get it wrapped, and we give it to those families. And that happens in so many different ways. One of my favorite times in India was when... uh, Dr. May Thomas and I were riding on a motor scooter through Coda, if you can imagine that. On the back of the motor scooter was a little sign that said, Jesus saves. Now you have to understand, this is a Hindu community, so it's not the most popular thing. But on that particular day, we were going to fulfill a purpose. And we were there to open a medical clinic in a very difficult part of town. I'd never been to a medical clinic dedication in India before. And I was amazed at how many people showed up in this community. They were so excited that they were somehow going to get some kind of medical attention in their community. And it was like a little storefront with a roll-up door. And so they had their little preliminaries. And they cut the ribbon. And they rolled up the door. And there's like two shelves in the whole place. And there's like three bottles of medicine. And these folks are over the top excited. Because somebody cares enough to bring care to them. It was very limited. Very limited. 
I had the same opportunity. Went into a, a leper colony, in the medical clinic in the leper colony. Walked into the medical clinic. Again, two shelves on the wall, a couple of bottles of medicine. And the lepers were so excited that somebody cared enough to do something. Even though it was in our mind, my mind, I should say, very small effort, but it was so appreciated and so celebrated that somebody cared. And so in our lives, excuse me, in our lives, we never know when something that we do for someone, whether it's helping with a Christmas gift for families that may not have Christmas this year. And and I know it's a different time of the year and a different kind of year. Uh, We've gone through a lot in our nation, in our world. But at the same time, what does God want me to do? I remember a pastor I heard years ago, very well-known pastor. And he said he waited until his kids got up to about 13, 14, somewhere in those teenage years. And he told them, he said, we're going to take a trip to Haiti. And he'd been making mission trips to Haiti for years. And now he's taking his kids. So he loads his kids up on a plane. They go to Haiti. And they're walking through this community. And he points out a ministry over here. One was a medical clinic. Other things, orphanages that were established in that community. And then he told his kids, I think he had three kids. He said, you know, through all your Christmases, when you guys didn't get a whole lot, like some of your friends may have gotten, when there were things on your Christmas list that we chose not to give, he said, I'm wondering if you know where the money went. He said, you see that building there? You see that building there? You see that ministry there? Your mother and I chose to support the ministries and not give you all the things you wanted for Christmas, but to minister to people who had needs, not just wants. So there's all kinds of ways that God would have for us to touch and reach into someone else's life. Whatever it takes, that's what it has to be. Whatever it takes. I want to show you this next verse and explain something that you may or may not know. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is there. He's ready to ascend to heaven. His, this is his final instruction. Excuse me. <coughs> final instruction with his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the world. The word witness there, you know what it means? Martyr. You'll be my martyrs. Oh, wait a minute. This is not Sunday go to Sunday school lesson, is it? No, it's the reality of the gospel. Happening in different parts of the world even now, there are those who are literally giving their lives for the cause of the gospel. We're blessed. We don't have to do that. Our giving of our life is, like I said, it may be sacrificing something financially. It it certainly, hopefully, would be intercessory as we also do the the hope packs for um, India, for the kids in India, the orphans there. 
all those things are opportunities. But it comes down to what is my heart in this? What, what, is, what am I willing to truly give to God so that he can use me to make a disciple? And what is it to make a disciple anyway? It's to teach someone, as he said, it's to teach someone about all the things that he taught. Well, if we don't know that, we can't do that. Did you? You guys are really smart. I know you figured that out, right? If we don't know him, if we don't know the things he's taught us, and the only way we're going to know that is through his word and the Holy Spirit working in our lives and making it alive to us, then we're never going to be able to share that with someone else. But thank God we have the privilege and opportunity to do that. We're not limited. We can read this word. We can hear this word. We can hear the word taught. We're not limited. In fact, the scripture says that we've been given everything for life and godliness. We're told that the Holy Spirit will not only teach us all things, but he'll bring all things to our remembrance. And by the way, that's not just talking to those or about those who may have been called in full-time ministry. It's talking to every child of God, wherever we are and whatever we're involved in vocationally, because God is not limited by vocation. It's making disciples where you work. It's making disciples when you go out to eat. You're just touching people's lives. You're not beating them up. You're not abusing them. You're just showing them the reality of Christ. This is who Christ is. This is how Christ loves. This is how Christ expresses himself in these circumstances and situations. I'm sorry, I've got something in my throat. When we talk about making disciples, and we're the example for others to look at and to follow, what's your example? Am I making disciples that glorify God, who can take that revelation scripture, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come, and sing that to the mountaintops, even though our voice may not be the best voice around? We celebrate the fact that this is our God, holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is. He is to come. And as Frankie said, and we're, and we're to be like him, John says it in his gospel or in his epistle, when he comes. What if, on the other hand, I'm showing a different life and lifestyle where I'm worried about everything, fretting about everything, because we're living in a world that's in terrible, terrible shape. And we're it. We have been chosen by God. I will keep saying this until I can no longer speak or I die or whatever happens first. It doesn't matter to me. We are chosen by God. We are the select race and time. When I say race, I'm talking about Christians world, world, around the world. We're the ones that God chose for this time in history. What? We should be holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're praising you, God, that you chose us for this time. And we celebrate the fact that we are here as light and salt in our world, which has become darker and darker every day. What a blessing that we have to be that for Christ. It's easy to get caught up in all this stuff. As we talk about, as we talk about Christmas, it's easy to get caught up in what am I going to get? 
wouldn't it be amazing if this Christmas we all said, you know, we really don't need anything. Well, let's just take a survey. How about, be honest now. How many of you really need something for Christmas this year? Raise your hand. Now, that's not saying you have everything in the world. That's not the point, is it? But we're so blessed. We really are. And what if we took the time, the effort, and the money and invested it in the kingdom of God? Again, as God directs you to do so. What a great blessing that could be to our world today. But we're not called to give up much, are we? So, I... I was asking Sheila when the last time I used this story, because I know I've used it several times. It's such a great, great uh, story. And it wasn't that long ago, but it just seems fitting for this. A young couple from Great Britain have come to know Christ. They're moved by God to be missionaries for the kingdom. And they go to Africa. And they arrive in Africa and they're assigned to a mission station. They report to the mission station and there they're told that their assignment is to a particular village, a village that doesn't want missionaries at all, but that's their assignment. So they leave the mission station and they go to the village. And when they arrive at the village, the chief the village says this no missionaries in my village you cannot come in here they are they've traveled all this distance they've expended all their time they're they're here this is what they're supposed to be doing this is the assignment they have the chief goes on to say that you can build a little hut out there and shows him where, and this little boy, he points to the little boy, said, this little boy will be your liaison. He will be your only contact with this village, <clears throat> period. You never step foot in our village. You never communicate with any villagers other than this young boy here. And so they do, and it goes on for some time. The wife becomes pregnant. She has the baby. And she doesn't make it. The father, I'm so sorry, something right there. The father is so embittered against God. Goes back to again, Romans 8, 28. All those things that work together for good seem so good as long as it's good. But boy, when it's not, not so good. They've given their life literally now for the service of the king. father in such distress and distraught as he was goes back to the mission station takes his little girl that has been born and gives him to the mission couple that are living there and says I'm done I'm done with missions I'm done with God I'm done with everything and literally disappears 
Years later, this little girl's grown up. Thank you. This little girl's grown up, and she is now married to the president of a Bible college on the West Coast. One day she gets a magazine, Mission Magazine. She's reading it, and she sees a picture. And in that picture is the grave of her mother. And there's a story with the picture. And the story reads like this. This couple came and gave, in this case, her life. And the only contact they had with this village was this little boy. And after they left, this little boy who they had poured into while they were there now has a true conversion experience and becomes the evangelist for the village and leads his entire village to Christ. Now that would be an amazing and wonderful story if, that, if it ended there. This college president and his wife, who happens to be the daughter of this mission couple, go to Amsterdam for the Billy Graham School of Evangelism and the crusade they're doing in Amsterdam. And while they're there, she comes to realize that one of the speakers is a little boy from the village that her parents ministered to all those years before. And in his message, he says this, because of those who not only told me the gospel, but showed me the gospel, I have now had the privilege of seeing over 600,000 conversions to the kingdom of God. Again, typically we're not asked to do those kind of assignments. We might be, who knows? We have these little boys that sit on this front row if you're, where you can see that on most Sunday mornings. Last Sunday, I was standing there during the worship time and they were here and, you know, some of them were singing and some were, you know, they're, they're little boys. And it reminded me of a conference that I attended in Mobile, Alabama, goodness, years and decades ago. And in this conference, there was a bunch of little boys that sat on the front row. And the pastor gets up and he says, you know what? Now, I don't know if he's being prophetic. I have no clue what he was up to. But he looked at those little boys. He said, I want you guys to know, all of you, God's going to call you into the ministry. I don't know what happened. I was there for a conference. But I thought about all the little boys that God's given us. And wouldn't it be amazing that all of our kids would be called in the ministry? You say, oh, wait, 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 wait. We want them to be doctors and lawyers. and you know. Those are wonderful things, and they can use those in ministry and missions too. But wouldn't it be an amazing testimony for this church, that out of this church, our young people who are raised by Christian parents, who are setting an example so that more is caught than taught, and they would just be raised up for the kingdom of God and the glory of God, and, and they would go around the world. Or as I said last week, now our world is getting 
smaller in the sense that we are more desperate in need of missions here than we are in other parts of the world because we have so turned our back on God. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that our nation has turned our back on God? I can tell you whose fault it is. It's mine. And it's yours. Because if people don't see the resurrected Christ in our lives every day, and I don't mean we get it perfect every day, because I know I don't. It's not, it's not the point. But our heart is so for God. We're so given and yielded to Him. We're so pressing in to know Him even better and better and better so that those who come around us recognize that we have been with Jesus, as was said of the disciples. They recognize that our commitment, our consistency in the kingdom of God and the things of God is so real and so incredibly of God that there's no explanation. I got to tell you, you guys didn't know me when I was growing up for sure. I'm kind of glad you didn't, to be honest. But... um, Well, let me tell you about Vernon Abney. I think I've told you about Vernon before. Our little church was down the road from our house. And we all loved horses, rode horses. And so every Sunday we'd have a trail ride. Vernon Abney was the only adult on that trail ride. So what I would have to do is... I wouldn't skip out of church early because that would get me in trouble. But what I would do is I'd be very right there at the door. So when the pastor said, amen, I'd go out the door. I'd run home. I'd fix my lunch. I'd saddle my horse because I know the trail riders are coming through. And I'd just fall in and we'd ride horses all Sunday afternoon. Fast forward, God brings me into his kingdom. He saves me. He calls me in the ministry. My dad came to know or was called to ministry after I was. So he's pastoring a little church in Ohio, in Versailles, Ohio. And he said, how about coming up and speaking, doing a meeting for us? So I agreed to do that and went up. And the first night of the meeting, it was a little bit Methodist church that my dad and his congregation rented. I'm walking in, I walk down the aisle, and there's Vernon Abney. I haven't seen him since I was in high school. Now, Vernon, you have to understand, Vernon liked chewing tobacco. So he had permanent stains down both sides of his mouth. So he was easy to recognize. I looked at him, I said, Vernon, I wasn't expecting Vernon to be in a church building. Let's just put it that way. I said, Vernon, what are you doing here? That's probably not the best pastoral approach. I don't know. He goes, well, somebody told me that God made a preacher out of you. I just came to see if it was so. That kind of tells you what I was before. We did the service. Service is over. I walked back to Vernon. I said, Vernon, is it so? He said, it's so. And got up and left. Never saw him again. Now, all that to say this. 
wherever we come from, whatever our background might be, it's what he will do in us and through us that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. Because there's this time of desperation in our world that's getting more and more urgent for each of us. Whatever involvement we have in this world that we commit our lives so totally to Christ that he can use us whenever, wherever, however he chooses. Even to the point, and I say this, even to the point, if it means that my life has to be sacrificed for others to enter the kingdom, then so be it. Am I expecting that on American soil? I don't know. Our friend Sam Thomas will tell you, I fully expect to be a martyr for the kingdom of God. And he lives every day knowing that that could be the day. But it doesn't matter because his life is in the hands of Christ. So however God chooses to use you with whatever capacity he's given you, whether, you know, we have all these amazing musicians and I'm always in awe of how God brings us folks like he does that can be so talented and share so well. That's not me. Maybe you're the mechanic or the carpenter or the electrician or the nurse, or the school teacher, or whatever, that touches somebody's life in a way that reveals this is Christ. This is what makes the difference. And this is why my life is what it is. That's why 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. I am what I am by the grace of God, and I do what I do by the grace of God. See, I know that. That's why I can celebrate that so well. I know that. I know who I was. I know who I am, and I know what God has done. I know what God is doing, and I am rejoicing in what I believe he will do in my life. And I would want that for every one of us. Every one of us. Because what? Go and make disciples. By the way, that's as you're going, you're touching lives, you're helping those in Christ and those who need to come to know Christ. There's always someone that you will encounter who doesn't know him, and there will always be those who may know less than you do that you can share, and that's how we do this. That's what the church is. That's the purpose, to make disciples of him Not of us, but of him. And as we do that, we fulfill the Great Commission. J.I. Packard is someone I've read for a long time. Here's his quote. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they may worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. 
And then one of my other favorite authors you've heard from many, many times who says this. When Jesus says, go, therefore, and teach all nations, he is saying, go on the revelation of the sovereignty and teach and preach out of the living experience of me, Oswald Chambers. Go ye thereforth means to live your life for Christ and as a result, be the witness for me. Maybe I'm laying down my life. That's the martyrdom that I would experience. Not in the sense that someone would take my life physically, but in my time and my effort and my money and all the resources God has placed in my life as I am under the direction and the control of the Holy Spirit. God will use me to touch whomever, wherever he chooses for his kingdom and for his glory. And sometimes, sometimes we forget it starts with our families. That's the greatest mission field of all. To live Christ in such a way that our family members are encouraged and helped and are able to grow in the kingdom of God. And for those of us who have children and grandchildren, we had this phrase, we kind of let it slide, but we used to say this, our ceiling is their floor. Or how high we can jack it up in our lives for them to know Christ is where that's their starting point. And they get to start in a much better place. How many of you have thought, depending on how you grew up, I just want my kids to have it better than I did? Anybody here thought that? I've heard that. Well, guess what? Spiritually speaking, we should always want our kids to have it better. But what we have invested in them, what we have demonstrated to them, what they have learned from us as we've lived our life for Christ in daily routines of life, that they would so absolutely be so much better off in the kingdom of God and more and more people because of those lives grow and be nurtured in the kingdom. There's an observation I've made it. You can do your own research. But as I see these bright stars that come, and I'm talking about those who are faithful in the word and who are being used of God. I made this observation. It usually takes about five generations to get to that place where somebody is really, and I'm, God's not limited, so don't think I'm saying you can't. But it's amazing to me when I do the research on folks that God has raised up. You go back generation after generation. It takes about five generations to get a family where the legacy is truly the kingdom of God. So what if you're the first generation? Then be the first generation. What if you're the second? Then be the second or the third or fourth or fifth, whatever it may be. Whatever God has given you, be that. But make sure that that next generation has more in the kingdom of God than you had in your life. Let's pray. Stand with me, please. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and working in each of our lives. Thank you that you're making us those witnesses for 
our Christ. And that we're those witnesses here in Chester, here in South Carolina, here in America, and even around the world. And you know exactly what that takes for the people that we encounter. Some, just a moment's encounter. Others, building relationships. Others, helping, socially, touching, providing. However you choose, however you see fit, God. We're your instruments, we're your hands, we're your feet in this world. But God, I do pray. I pray for all of us that those who encounter us encounter you, Lord Jesus, through your work and your person, Holy Spirit. I pray this in the name, the matchless, matchless name of Jesus. I pray this for each of us here in Chester, South Carolina, and wherever else in the world you would have us touch lives of others for your glory and for your kingdom. We bow to you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Use us now. Amen.